You're walking down the street, minding your own business, perhaps a bit too engrossed in your phone, when you hear it. A man shouting, and it's coming from above. You take a step back, just as something comes hurtling down. It smashes on the sidewalk where you just stood, splattering the concrete and your front with paint. You look up to see the painter yelling at you, demanding to know why you didn't look where you're going. Your clothes are ruined. People are starting to stare. But all you feel is relief. You came that close to walking under a ladder. Hi everyone, I'm Alastair Murden, and this is Superstitions, a Spotify original from Parcast. On this show, we explore the origins behind famous fears like black cats and the number 13, and tell stories illustrating the strange ways that our irrational beliefs can make their way into our lives. Today, we're talking about ladders. Specifically, the idea that walking under a ladder will bring you bad luck. We don't really know the true origins of this superstition, but we have some ideas. One particularly enticing theory states that in 1600s England, criminals sentenced to death by hanging were forced to walk under a ladder on the way to the gallows, as a way of separating the guilty from the innocent. So, it's possible that walking under a ladder might mean more than bad luck. It might be a sort of doorway, one where death waits on the other side. Would you risk it? Coming up, I'll tell you a little story to help you decide. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Chad didn't believe in luck. Not at 14, when his friends told him that he was lucky to get to skip the lines at Six Flags. It wasn't that he was lucky. It was that he'd broken his foot a few months earlier and convinced his doctor to let him keep the cast to show the line attendance. Not in college, when the RA came to his room for noise and alcohol complaints, and he didn't get written up. And he most certainly didn't believe in luck when, in 2012, his friend Thatcher gave him 150 Bitcoin as a joke gift for graduation. He could have sold it, Thatcher probably would have, but instead, he just let it sit. Five years later, he was a New York multi-millionaire with a penthouse near Gramercy Park. He'd continued trading coins and even set up a website with advice and market recommendations. He charged $9.99 a month for the knowledge and the promise that if he could get rich off crypto, anyone could. 
He didn't believe in God or luck or coincidence. He'd made his own luck. And that's what he believed in. So when he and Thatcher were walking to the Dutch for a midday drink, Chad found it infuriating when Thatcher told him once again that he'd just gotten lucky. Chad just rolled his eyes. He took out his phone to set an alarm to trade Bitcoin for Ethereum in 15 minutes, then tweet about it so others would follow. He had a method. He worked hard. Thatcher was one of those dudes who was always wearing crystals around his neck and checking his astrological charts. When one of his big real estate projects fell through last year, he would blamed it on the planet Mercury for some reason. Chad wished there was some way to show Thatcher just how illogical his faith in luck was. When he looked up from his phone, he spotted something that gave him an idea. See those ladders up ahead? He said, pointing to three ladders propped up against a half-painted building. Thatcher shook his head and clutched the quartz around his neck. I'm not going under them. Chad laughed. Fine, but I will. And in an hour, you'll see my investments soar. He moved closer to the first ladder, making a show of studying it. Thatcher cringed as he stepped under it. He walked backward, then under the ladder again, then back out, taunting his friend. See? Nothing bad. But Thatcher wasn't convinced. You walked backward. I've heard that undoes all the bad luck from walking through it. Chad gritted his teeth. This wasn't the point. So he walked through the next ladder, paused, and smiled at Thatcher. Bad luck doesn't exist, he said. Then he turned towards the third, pretended to be spooked by it, and stepped through. But before his foot even touched the pavement, he was jerked sideways and sent into a spin. At first, Chad was so dizzy that he couldn't see anything. Then he found his footing and his sight. He was no longer in New York City. He didn't know where he was. The concrete sidewalk was gone, replaced by dusty ground. He was surrounded by around 50 people in medieval peasant costumes, and he had heavy iron cuffs on both his wrists. He tried to shake them off, but they only thrashed against his forearms in a way that would definitely leave a bruise. He turned around. He had just walked under a ladder, but Thatcher was nowhere to be seen. Instead, four or five people were behind him, also handcuffed. Then, a big, gruff man with some sort of old-looking gun kicked him forward. On with ya, he said. Chad stepped forward then was turned towards the front of the ladder. It led to a big wooden platform. A line of nooses hung from a crossbeam. Chad panicked. Wait, 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 he said to the man with the gun. This is a dream, right? I knocked my head or something. But the man didn't respond, only kept pushing him forward. Go on, go on, he said teasingly. Punishment awaits. Then he smiled, revealing a mouthful of rotten teeth, some black, a few chipped or missing. Nobody in their right mind would let their teeth get that bad, at least with modern dentistry. Chad stopped again and asked, What year is it? And 
where am I? The man kicked him hard in the shins. Are you drunk? 1605, ram's bot on you buffoon. Now get moving. Chad stumbled onto the ladder and climbed up, not sure what else to do. He tried to turn to the prisoner behind him, asking him to confirm that he was just a character actor in a weird reenactment of 17th century Britain, but the man only wept. When he was on the platform, all the spectators stared at him with anticipation, as though a movie was about to start. Chad looked down and saw that he was dressed in rags. The crisp collared shirt and Gucci loafers he'd been wearing just five minutes prior were gone. The rest of the prisoners filed onto the platform to join him. A few men began fitting the nooses around their necks. Chad protested as a cord of thick, rough rope was forced over his head and tightened around his windpipe. He slapped himself in the face. When he didn't wake up, he slapped himself harder, then harder again. But it was no use. A priest stood at the edge of the platform, blessing each of the prisoners in turn. Chad tugged at his rope and screamed that he was innocent. The man with the gun kicked him and told him to shut up. One by one, the prisoners started falling. Chad jumped each time he heard a neck snap. He looked around. He needed some sort of way out of this. Suddenly, his alarm went off. His phone was still in his pocket. The crowd went still a puzzled terror filling their faces. The gunman asked what the noise was, calling it the sound of the devil. His eyes fell on Chad and they narrowed suspiciously. Chad pulled his iPhone out of his pocket. What in God's name is this bauble? The man said. Are you a witch? There's a pyre waiting for you if you are. He was serious. Chad's heart raced. He tried to think about how he might get himself out of this situation and looked to the priest. He had to get himself out of these shackles and into a more blessed position. He cleared his throat as best he could. This, <clears throat> um, magic stone contains the word of God, he said, improvising. I am his messenger. I am here to save you all from, uh poverty and starvation. The priest's eyes narrowed. A messenger of the Lord? You claim to be an angel? Chad's face lit up. Yes, that's it. An angel. The crowd gasped. The priest's jaw dropped. The man with the gun wrinkled his nose and gripped his weapon a little tighter, but his hands were shaking. Why should we believe you? He asked. Chad stammered. Well, uh, see here, he whispered. Siri, repeat back to me. I am God. This is my Chad, my divine messenger. You must let him go or face my wrath. Siri repeated back what he had dictated. The guard's eyes went wide and he kneeled and introduced himself as Bingley at Chad's service. The priest looked up to the sky and formed a cross over his heart. One by one, the crowd knelt. Chad smirked. He'd gotten them. He raised his palm to the sky and said, 
don't thank me yet, you, uh, beautiful peasants. Thank me when you are all saved. Bingley set down his gun and loosened Chad's noose. The priest led him off the platform, apologizing repeatedly for not knowing, and though the execution continued behind him, the crowd had followed him out into the streets, all asking for blessings. Standing in the center of the old town, Chad ignored them and pulled out his phone. He sent a couple of texts to Thatcher. Dude, come get me. Send a helicopter, a private plane, something. Then he opened up his maps to try to drop a pin, but the map didn't load. The people of the village pressed in on all sides. All peasants. Chad could tell by their torn clothes, chipped teeth, and the squalor that lined the streets. This town was as poor and destitute as it got. If he had to be stuck in an alternate dimension, this was definitely not where he wanted to be. A woman came up to him and grabbed his hand. Her hair smelled like manure. She kissed the back of his palm and told him that her son was sick. She couldn't afford medicine. An old man said his family's crops had wilted in a recent storm. They had no coin for bread. A third asked him if the neighbor who had stolen his chickens would be sent to hell. One by one, they came closer, grabbing at Chad's hands and arms. He couldn't believe this was happening, but he wasn't sure where to turn. Think, Chad, think. He made his own luck, right? He wasn't sure how to get home, but he had to at least give the people something so he could get some space. There was an apple cart across the road from him. A woman stood in front of it, trying and failing to peddle apples for a shilling each. She looked emaciated. Chad called out to the woman. He asked for an apple, saying he would pay her back later. She threw him one, and he took a bite. It was sweet and delicious, so rich it was almost salty, not like the apples back home at all. Chad moaned with delight. The priest looked at him and said, They all want more apples, but cannot afford them. Can you make us more? Chad grimaced. Like, be a farmer? The priest shook his head. I mean a miracle, like the savior turning water into wine. I would think such a feat should be easy for an angel of the Lord. Chad clenched his jaw. The only miracle he'd ever performed was turning money into more money, and that skill didn't translate to apples. Or maybe it did. The priest was growing suspicious. The spell his phone had cast on the crowd seemed to be wearing off. Bingley clutched his musket a little tighter. Chad's brain whirled, recalling everything he knew about the history of economics. If this was 1605, the Dutch East India Company would have recently started selling shares in the Netherlands. The idea of financial markets or speculation wouldn't have hit England yet, and definitely not this cesspit. So Chad had an idea, something that might solve all their problems, and more importantly, his. Coming up, Chad tests his luck. Parcasters, if you're fascinated by the mysterious and manipulative side of true crime, you'll love the stories told in the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults. 
Every Tuesday, step inside the minds of those who led and followed the most controversial, radical, and sometimes deadly organizations in history. Go beyond the headlines and discover the foundation behind notorious cults like Jim Jones and People's Temple, the Rajneesh movement, Nexium, and more. Each episode of Cults is full of illuminating details of their improbable origins and sinister intentions. Doomsday predictions, religious beliefs, extraterrestrial orders. Find out what really happens inside a cult. Follow the podcast series Cults free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes air weekly every Tuesday. Now, back to the story. Chad was surrounded by the town villagers, all begging for help. He knew he shouldn't have pretended to be an angel of God, but what else was he supposed to do? One minute, he was in 21st century New York, planning to trade Bitcoin for Ethereum. The next, he'd walk through a ladder and landed in 17th century England. And he didn't know how to help the villagers exactly. But when he grabbed an apple from a woman on the side of the road, Chad got an idea. He cleared his throat. <clears throat> Good people, listen up. Do you see those apples over there? Do you? They are going to be rare soon, worth an absolute fortune. Get them while you can. The villagers only looked at him in confusion. Then an older woman tapped him on the arm and whispered that apples were a luxury. Most of the villagers could hardly afford one a year. Chad almost laughed. This was ridiculous. He'd have to lay it out, plain and simple, like he did on his blog. He said, if you buy now, then you can sell them at a higher price later. The older woman said she had no coin. Chad grumbled. He was going to make the whole town rich, but it would take some convincing. So he walked over to the apple seller and asked her if she had a piece of paper and pen. She couldn't read, she said. These people really are stupid, Chad thought. So he pulled out his phone and opened his notes. Chad asked the older woman's name. It was Elizabeth, she said, her voice shaking as she eyed the phone. He typed in Elizabeth, owes two shillings. He told her the extra shilling was called interest, then added a due date and said he'd keep track. He grabbed an apple and tossed it to Elizabeth. Don't need it, he said. But the apple seller wasn't happy. How am I supposed to buy bread for a piece of paper? Chad rolled his eyes. Didn't any of these people understand investing? He thought for a moment fishing through the pockets and his ratty prisoner pants. If his phone had come out of one, then surely… Yes, his wallet. He pulled out a $10 bill. The apple seller frowned. More paper? Chad sighed. In the normal world, nobody used coins anymore. Even parking meters took credit cards. But maybe if he looked… Yes, he had a quarter. Her eyes went wide. She said she'd never seen so much silver. He handed her the quarter, neglecting to tell her it was actually made of nickel, not silver. 
He said it was collateral and she could give him 20% of her profits in the future. Then he turned to the rest of the crowd. Come, everyone, take an apple. Don't eat it. You'll see soon. Everybody bought an apple. Some ate theirs right away. Others followed Chad's advice and pocketed theirs. Soon, all the apples were gone. When more people came to the market wanting apples, the woman who bought the first apple sold hers for five shillings. She was overjoyed and immediately wanted to go buy a loaf of fresh bread from the bakery. But Chad had made a shilling off that deal, so he convinced her to buy a share in the apple stand instead. He said, believe me, you'll make a lot of money. And that she did, because soon everybody wanted apples. The prices rose from one shilling to five shillings to ten and so on. Eventually, his phone died and he stopped being able to keep track of all the transactions. So he told all the people that if they didn't pay their interest, they'd incur the wrath of God. And that seemed to work. Some even paid extra. But still, everybody prospered. Chad started taking investments in Apple futures, writing them down on paper this time. And the farmers got rich and planted more seeds and got richer. People from towns far and wide were coming into that little slice of England just to get their hands on some of their apples. Each time someone bought an apple, Chad told them that they were smart. They had gotten one just before the prices went up. He added that they should tell their friends before others found out. And so, people kept coming. Prices kept going up. And with each sale, Chad took his 20%. Soon, everybody had enough to eat and apples were a new sign of status. Many displayed them in their homes and storefronts. Sure, a few cashed in. After all, the apples rotted fairly quickly. But those that didn't let them dry out. Because by winter, the seeds alone were worth a fortune. And Chad lived like a king with a throne. During the day, he sat on his chair overlooking the markets and took down investments in Apple futures. He'd collected so many shillings with his 20% that he bought a chair made out of pure gold. Maybe he'd never gotten his midday drink at the Dutch, but if he ever got back, he couldn't wait to tell Thatcher that walking under a ladder was clearly not that unlucky. Because he was literally sitting in a chair made of gold. But soon, the temperature dropped, then dropped some more. And then, the wind and snow and sleet came in. The throne began to get cold, and no matter how much he stoked the fire, it wasn't the same effect as his heated floors back home. So he hired a few of the peasants to keep fires going around the clock. He paid them in apple futures, promised them wealth if they could just wait a little longer. The weather only got colder, and it brought with it a mighty winter storm. And when it was over, Chad went outside to learn that the frost had destroyed every last piece of produce. There were no more apples. Everybody panicked, trying to collect on debts they were owed. But none of the villagers had any coin to pay. Only rotten apples. Even the seeds were now worthless, with everybody afraid of another storm hitting. Nobody wanted to take the risk. 
the villagers realized that the only person who'd actually gained coin throughout this whole ordeal was Chad. He tricked them. They gathered in the street with pitchforks and lanterns, then marched to his house and banged on his door. When he didn't come out, they began to shout that they wouldn't leave until he bought up all of their apple debt. Chad shivered inside, not knowing what to do or where to go. But they continued to bang on his door so hard they broke it down, rushed in and stole his throne. Chad rushed out after them. A group of villagers had gathered a large pile of kindling and branches. A man was stopped beside the pyre, holding a flaming torch to the wood. Chad gaped in alarm as the golden throne was hoisted over it. Wait, 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 he said. It's one bad down in the market. It'll go back up. Just invest again. Invest more. The apple seller spit at him. Easy for you to say. You're still taking money from me. Money you don't need. The other villagers nodded in agreement. Another yelled that he was the devil. And Chad yelled that he wasn't. I am an angel of God, remember? The priest even stepped in, trying to reason with the growing mob. He said that perhaps Chad had a good reason for leading them all into poverty. Perhaps there was a lesson that God wanted them to learn. But the group only tossed more torches onto the pyre. Soon, a sizable fire was blazing beneath the throne, and the gold started to melt. Then, someone threw a lantern onto the pyre. Chad ran. Behind him, he heard his house being trashed. His throne was melted down. A few villagers ran after him. It was a witch hunt. He'd be burned at the stake, all because of the frost, all because of a bit of bad luck. Bad luck. That was it. The ladder. Maybe this whole experience had been getting him a bit unlucky, like the ladder he came in just happened to be a wormhole or something, and the only way to get back to the real world was to walk under it again, backward. But he'd have to get there without getting killed first, which meant he'd have to get into the gallows. Well, that was easy enough to manage. Chad stopped running and turned back to face the crowd. It's true, he said. I was sent by the devil. The crowd skidded to a halt, gasps erupting from among them. Others grabbed their torches tighter. The priest made the sign of the cross over his chest. And if you want to get rid of me, Chad said, you must do two things. One, your prayers will not help protect you. You have all sinned. Your greed has gotten the better of you. And you must give me all your coin to settle your debts and wipe your slate clean. A few villagers looked suspicious, but the priest tossed him a shilling. A few others followed. He pocketed them. It didn't matter that they weren't worth much here. He could sell them to a museum in New York. It was too easy. Then he said, Next, you must execute me, with due process, at the gallows. For a moment, there was silence. Then someone yelled out that he was just tricking them, that if they tried to execute him, he would kill them all. Chad had to think. What could he add? Then burn me too, after you hang me. 
send me back to hell. Just make sure you do it right at the gallows. Again, the villagers considered. Finally, Bingley stepped forward. I've never believed this lout from the beginning. I don't know that he's the devil, but something is awful suspicious. Let's hang him. He placed shackles on Chad's wrists. The villagers cheered. As he walked to the gallows, Chad smiled. These people would believe anything. But that wasn't his problem anymore. He was finally going home. The crowd gathered around the big wooden platform and Chad walked to the middle. Bingley told him he must walk under the ladder first, then he would climb it. To his death, he added laughing. But Chad remained proud. Then he turned around. The crowd looked puzzled as Chad took a step backward. Then another. Then another. Finally, he took a deep breath and prepared to walk under. See ya, 17th century England. He closed his eyes and stepped backward under the ladder, anticipating the stale Manhattan air. But when he opened them again, he was still staring at the gallows. That can't be right, he said. Bingley nudged him to get up top. Chad ignored him and tried to walk backward through the ladder again. Nothing. He tried again and again, practically running in circles through the ladder, but still nothing. Chad stammered. You, you have to understand, there's been a mistake, it's just bad luck, I shouldn't even be here. But Bingley dragged him up the ladder. Then he was facing the noose, with no ladders to walk through. Chad's luck had run out. One of the earliest potential origins of the ladder superstition comes from ancient Egypt. Ancient Egyptians believed the triangle to be a sacred shape, hence the pyramids. But also, the three sides of the triangle may have represented a triad of gods, the most recognizable of which is Osiris, Horus, and Iris. To break a triangle then could have been considered blasphemy. And since a ladder leaning against a wall forms a triangle, walking through one can be seen as doing just that. But of course, ancient Egypt was not the only civilization to group religious figures or symbols in threes. The idea of a ladder being unlucky was later adopted by Christians, both because the triangle represented the Trinity or the unity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but also because a ladder was supposedly leaning up against the cross at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. To walk under one was a symbol of betrayal and death. In reality, walking under a ladder won't transport you to 17th century England, but it can be dangerous, which might explain why the superstition is so widespread. Think about it. Ladders often signal some sort of construction, workers standing on the top with heavy cans of paint and power tools. If you walk under one at the wrong moment, or worse, if you bump into one, either you or whoever's standing atop it could be seriously hurt. 
The Consumer Product Safety Commission reports that more than 90,000 people go to the emergency room from ladder-related injuries every year. Try telling them walking under a ladder isn't unlucky. Still, there's plenty of people who might ignore this superstition and these risks. It's those people who often think, well, that won't happen to me. Perhaps the ladder's unlucky reputation stems from the fact that the people reckless enough to walk under them are also more likely to take risks throughout their lifetime. Sometimes, risks pay off, and when they do, it's easy to take credit. But when they go poorly, no one wants to take the blame. Which is why everyone believes in luck when theirs runs out. Thanks again for listening to Superstitions. We will be back Wednesday with a new episode. You can find more episodes of Superstitions and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. Until next time, be wary of the things you cannot explain. Superstitions is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Carrie Murphy, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Superstitions was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Andrew Kelleher, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Adriana Gomez and Mickey Taylor. I'm Alastair Murden. 